Good morning. Welcome to each of you this morning in Jesus' name. In His name we are here together to worship. So we look to Him. I think I remember twice sitting in a congregation and seeing a new preacher, new minister, preach for the first time. And I remember a, a sense of anticipation, wondering what this new minister would preach about. And I've been wondering the same thing. <laughs> but God is faithful. And he has a work for each of us to do. And he wants to do a work in each of our lives this morning. He wants to do a work in my life. He wants to do a work in your life. The Apostle Paul, we, we look at him and we think about him being a great man, a great preacher for God, and his testimony was, when I am weak, then I am I strong. I want to, to thank you all for your support and prayers through the past couple weeks. That has meant a lot to our family. And it's just been amazing to me how this little congregation in just a few months, our hearts have been knit together in love. And when the love of Christ is present in our lives. It brings, it, it brings us together in a, in a way that otherwise I don't believe is possible. And I want to I thank you for being part of that as well because it's a true blessing to be part of the family of God and to be part of a group of people who are, are seeking to serve God and fulfill His will in their lives. And as a result of, of the experience of being here for the past six months, I wanted to preach my first message here. And there are two basic reasons for that. I want to encourage you all going forward. Because I believe that, at least from what I've experienced here, that you all have a heart to serve the Lord. And you will continue to do that in the future, to be that way. <clears throat> I also see that this is an opportunity to share some of my vision for this work. And um, so that's kind of the, the foundational uh, thinking that brought together the message I want to share this morning. This effort here was started as a way to reach out, a means to reach out into the community here in Harrisonburg. And um, as a congregation, in a couple of days, you're going to be meeting to discuss how you're going to do that. So... The title of my message this morning is 
a kingdom perspective of outreach. The message has two parts this morning. The first part of the message is going to be focusing on the kingdom and what it means to be part of the kingdom. And then the second part of the message is going to take a look at Jesus, how Jesus himself fulfilled the Great Commission. Turn with me, if you will, to the book of Daniel, chapter 2. As you're turning there, I'll give you a little bit of background because I'm not going to read this whole passage. In chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And when he woke up after he had the dream, he had forgotten what the dream was. And in forgetting what the dream was, he was troubled because he felt like the dream was important, but he was troubled by, by the dream, but he had forgotten what it was. So he called the wise men, and he said, I've had a dream, and I want to know the meaning of this dream. And they said, well, king, tell us the dream, and we'll tell you what the interpretation of the dream is. He said, well, that's the problem. I've forgotten the dream. And so I want you to tell me the dream and the interpretation. And they said, sorry. We are, that is beyond our realm of ability. Uh, that, that lies in the, in the realm of, of the gods to know what your dream was and what the interp- and, and then so this made the king angry and he passed a decree that all of the wise men should be killed because they couldn't fulfill his request. And so the captain of the guard came to Daniel and told him what the decree was and Daniel said, give me time. He requested time to pray about this and, and seek God. And God revealed to Daniel both the dream and the interpretation of the dream. So I'm going to start reading at verse 26 in chapter 2. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Art thou able to make known unto me the dream which I have seen and the interpretation thereof? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king hath demanded cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers, shew unto the king. But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Thy dream and the vision of thy head upon thy bed are these. As for thee, O king, thy thoughts came into thy mind upon thy bed that should come to pass hereafter. And he that revealeth secrets maketh known to thee what shall come to pass. But as for me, this secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have more than any living, but for their sakes that shall make known the interpretation to but for their sakes that shall make known the interpretation to the king, that thou mightest know the thoughts of thy heart. Thou, O king, sawest and behold a great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. The image, just head, was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay, and brake them to pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, the gold, broken to pieces together and became like chaff of the summer threshing floor. And the wind carried them away 
and no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. And then he goes on to, to talk about the interpretation, how this image represents the kingdoms of this world and that the stone was representing the kingdom of God. And then I'm going to read, uh, moving forward to verse 44 and 45. And in the days of these kings, these earthly kings, shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Forasmuch as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter, and the dream is certain, and the interpretation is sure. There's a couple of things I want us to, to look at in this passage. Looking back to verses 32 and 33. We see gold representing the kingdoms of this earth, silver, brass, iron, and then iron mixed with clay. The kingdoms of this world have the appearance of value. They have the appearance of strength. Those are things we think about when we think about value. We think about things like gold and silver. We think about strength. We think about things like iron. But if you look at verse 35, there's iron mixed with clay. And that iron and clay do not mesh together. They're weak when they're mixed. That stone struck them and they crumble. The kings of this world are breakable. They're finite. They have the appearance of value. They have the appearance of strength but they're finite. We see a stone in verse 35 being cut out without hands. It smote the image and it broke it. And then, not only did it break the image, but it grew until it filled the earth. The kingdom of God has the qualities of strength and value, eternal value. I really like the imagery of this because it's so easy for us to see the physical things around us and to see, you know, maybe the value of those physical things. It's harder for us to to fully grasp the value and the power and the, the completeness of God's kingdom. So thinking about that, thinking about that, that picture of the, this, this stone becoming a mountain that fills the whole earth, I'd like for us to then think about what it means to be part of that kingdom. 
Being part of the kingdom of God is an opportunity. Just as, just as being a citizen of the United States is an opportunity for you and I. It's an opportunity to, to live in a land that has religious freedom, uh, that has a lot of freedoms. That's an opportunity that we can be thankful for. But to be part of the kingdom of God is an opportunity that has so much more value than that. We need to get a grasp for, the, for that opportunity. It's an opportunity that is very accessible to us. We have God's word. Not only is it an opportunity to be part of it, but it's an opportunity to experience something as part of the kingdom of God that meets our basic needs. And we talked about that some in, in Sunday school this morning. <clears throat> we as humans have basic needs. And being part of the kingdom of God gives us the opportunity to have those basic needs met in a community of people who are living out what God created them to live, the way God created them to live. Jesus' teachings in the Sermon on the Mount, He meant to be lived out. He meant for those to be lived out in His kingdom, as part of His kingdom. There are many people in our world today that don't believe it is even possible to live out what the Sermon on the Mount teaches. But when you become part of the kingdom of God, you are given an opportunity and you are given the power to live out life, to live out the Sermon on the Mount, to live out life the way God intended it to be lived. Let's turn to Colossians chapter 1. <clears throat> Someone already read one of these verses this morning. I'm going to read verses 12 and 13. Colossians 1, verse 12. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints and light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. Out of darkness, out of a place of, of stumbling around and not knowing where we're going, into the kingdom of His dear Son, inheritance in the light, into a place where our lives have direction and peace and fulfillment. The word translated there is the same word that it uses in Hebrews 11.5 where it's talking about Enoch. And in the book of Genesis, Enoch did not die. He was taken to heaven. And in Hebrews 11.5, it says, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. So that's the kind of translation that it's talking about. It's talking about us being moved 
from the kingdom of darkness, being moved from this crumbling, disappearing kingdom into a kingdom that is sure and eternal, a kingdom of light. And not only are we moved there, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. That opportunity to be part of the kingdom of God is, is so precious. It is such a precious opportunity. We are given something within. We are giving li given life within. And that life should be so precious to us. We have a treasure in this earthen vessel. This vessel that is dying. There's a treasure, an eternal treasure within it. The power of God in us. I believe that we as Christians should never lose a sense of awe for the opportunity that we have to have this treasure in earthen vessels. Not only do we receive that inner peace, joy, fulfillment that comes from knowing God and that power, but we also become part of a community of people who are experiencing that. You look at the life and teachings of Jesus, and you think about if, if everyone in the world would follow the teachings of Jesus, what would our world be like? It would be a world that was characterized by sacrificial love. There would be joy. There would be peace. There would be forgiveness. Brothers and sisters, that's what the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to look like. It's supposed to look like a place, a society that is ideal, a society that is living out those characteristics. And you and I, each one of us has an opportunity to be part of that kind of a society. And I'm not talking about having your name on a membership list. I'm talking about you experiencing Jesus Christ. Think about it this way. So God places His Spirit within us. And that changes us. That begins to change us into the image of Jesus. And because of that work that's happening within us, then we begin to, to live and relate differently than we did before. And as actually the power of God, the life of God flows up and overflows. And Jesus said that it will be a living water springing up in us unto everlasting life. Yet the same picture in that we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Think about an earthen vessel and God pouring himself into that. 
and it's being filled up. There's a perspective of Christianity that's being taught in our world today, and it is that God wants to save you so that he can take you to heaven. And God does want you to be with him in heaven. But is that why he's saving you? Some people call that the save me gospel. So the important thing about salvation is that it saves me. I don't believe that's what Jesus taught. Jesus taught a lose me gospel. He said, you have to give up your life to be my disciple, to be a follower of me. For the purpose of becoming part of my body, for the purpose of becoming part of this ideal society. I have a quote from John D. Martin that I've really appreciated. God made you, God created you, God made you for a cause larger than yourself. Your personal redemption is a means to the end of participating in this ideal society. By making your personal redemption an end in itself, you lose its true meaning. God has saved you for a purpose. And that purpose is here and now. It's to be part of his kingdom. I've really appreciated the past couple weeks Brother John's messages from Ephesians chapter 4. I want to read a couple verses from there thinking about being part of the kingdom of God as individual members. Individual part, or maybe I shouldn't say as individual parts, but as, as, as small parts of this greater kingdom, this greater society. Ephesians 4, verse 11, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth and love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. There's a couple of phrases I want to pull out of that. In verse 13, it says, till we all come. So you see there's, a, there's a, a movement there. Till we all come, and then the last part of the verse, into a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. There's a movement, there's a growing movement here towards the fullness of Christ. Verse 15. May grow up into him in all things. There's, there's, a, there's a growing, increasing measure verse 16 last part 
maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself, the building up of itself in love. Your redemption was planned to build the kingdom of God. You were saved to build. The head of the church said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus said to his disciples in John 20, 21, Peace be unto you. As my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. Jesus came to build the kingdom of God. And he is saving us today. We are, we are experiencing salvation today for the purpose of building the kingdom of God. Not individually, collectively, together. That brings us to the second part. The message, I gave this a separate title, The Great Commission by Example. I just want to read The Great Commission and think about Jesus' ministry in relation to that commission that he gave to his disciples. <clears throat> Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. I'd like to look first at the phrase, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. You remember that imagery of the stone that grew to encompass the whole earth. And no place was found for those other kingdoms. Jesus is, is reiterating the power of the kingdom of God and his power within that kingdom. All power is given to me in heaven and earth. There is no earthly force, there is no earthly government or no line of thinking that will overthrow the kingdom of God. And Jesus, as the head of the church, has been given power over that kingdom. I'd like to think just a little bit about Jesus' message in relation to the kingdom. Can anyone tell me how Jesus began his ministry? What did he say? What, what were his words to begin his ministry? I want to do my business. That was when he was 12 years old. That's good. I'm thinking about after he was, after he was baptized and tempted of the devil. He said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
He came to introduce the kingdom of heaven. Think about the parables that Jesus taught. How did he begin those parables? What was he illustrating with those parables? He said, the kingdom of heaven is like unto. The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. His parables illustrated aspects of the kingdom of heaven. His teachings taught about the characteristics of the people who were part of the kingdom of heaven. At the end of his ministry, Pilate challenged Jesus. He said, are you a king? And Jesus said, that's why I came to the earth, to be a king. For this cause was I born. But then he went on to say that my kingdom is not of this world. I'd like for us to think about the secret to Jesus' power. Ephesians, I mean, I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 2. <clears throat> it says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And I really want you to catch this in verse 9. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus came in obedience to his Father. And it's through that obedient humility, obedient humility that he was exalted by God. It was through his, his following and surrendering himself to God's plan. Then he goes on to say in verses 12 and 13, Wherefore, my beloved, because of this, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. The power of the kingdom of God is a power that rests in the power of God. Now, it might not have been very clear, but what I'm trying to say is that when we don't look to our own strength, when we look to the strength of God, we humble ourselves before Him and allow His power to work in us, then the power of God is available to build that church, to build that kingdom. That stone was cut out of the mountain without hands. It's God working in us. Next phrase I want to look at, look at is, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. In Mark 16, verses 15 and 16, And he said to them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. So Jesus spoke to crowds of people. 
And many of those people did not believe his message. He still spoke. Some would believe. Some did believe. And they became his disciples. They followed him. And his church was built. Now you may think that what I say later on in this, um, as we look at this, is that I'm minimizing the aspect of going. I'm not minimizing, trying to minimize the aspect of going. That is an important part of building the kingdom of God as a community of believers. But it's not the only part. And we need to remember that. We need to go. But that's not all that Jesus calls us to do in this passage, this commission that he gives. The next phrase, observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Jesus calls them to observe the things that he had commanded them to do, to live them out. Thinking about Jesus, uh, in John 6, 38, he says, For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. You see, that characterized Jesus' life. It was, it was doing the Father's will. In John 4, the story of the Samaritan woman, the Samaritan woman came, the disciples went into the, to the town to buy food, and the Samaritan woman came there, and Jesus had a discussion with her, and then she went back into the city. The disciples came from the city and came to Jesus with food, and they said, Master, eat. And he said, I have meat that you don't know anything about. I have food you don't know about. Here's what he said. I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? Jesus said unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Jesus was saying that my fulfillment, my sustenance, the satisfaction of my desire comes from doing my Father's will. I'd like to challenge us just a little bit about our own perspective about doing God's will. What is our perspective about doing God's will? In Romans 12, 1, it says, I be, 1 and 2, it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world. Don't be conformed to this, the kingdoms of this world. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that what might happen? That ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Do you find your sustenance? Do you find the satisfaction of your desire in fulfilling the will of God? I believe, I believe if we're going to be effective in building the kingdom of God, we're going to have to find our sustenance in doing the Father's will, in living out God's will in our lives. Every person has an intrinsic desire for meaning, purpose, and fulfillment in life. Those basic needs find their meat in living out God's purpose. 
the ultimate fulfillment being when we are with him for eternity. The completion of that. Now, not only did Jesus say that we should live out the, his commands, he said that we are to teach them. Teach them to observe. When he's saying that, he's, he's talking about the people that have come into the kingdom already. He said, make disciples and teach them. Teach those people. I, it's my personal feeling that discipleship is, is one of the most critical areas of need in our churches. We need to be discipling one another if we're going to build the kingdom of God. It's one thing to have a vision for a building and to sit down and, and draw out some plans about how we're going to build this building. It's another thing to dig the footers, to set the forms, to frame the walls, to put on the, seal, the roof, to put on the siding, to finish out the interior. That's a process. It's a process that takes energy, effort, work, sweat. It doesn't happen by itself. It's one thing for us to talk about how we're going to build the kingdom of God, but it's another thing to live it out. And I think we have to be purposeful in following Jesus' command to disciple one another. Yes, we need to make new contacts. Yes, we need to lead people to Christ. But is every bit as much discipling within the church that is part of this process. So how can we do that? We can teach Sunday school. We can teach Bible school. But even more importantly, I believe, we minister to those around us. We learn to, um, to ask questions, to find out what people's needs are, to minister to those needs, to encourage them, to seek out ways to bless others. Start a conversation. Ask a question. What's your perspective about your brothers and sisters? Is it to learn from those who have gone before you? Is it to help those who are coming behind you? I think we should have, I think we should have both desires. I think we should have the desire to learn from others and be discipled by others as well as the desire to disciple others. It's kind of encompassed here in closing in Matthew 20, 28. Jesus said, Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. So it's not, if you, if, you can't, if you can't go out on the street corner for some reason, that doesn't mean that you can't build the kingdom of God. I believe that fulfilling the Great Commission is embracing the kingdom of God and giving our lives for God's glory in whatever capacity He calls and gives us opportunity to serve. May the Lord bless you as 
a congregation going forward and looking at reaching out and also as you disciple and build up each other within the kingdom. You prepared with the song?